Welcome back to Saturday Standout, guys. With me tonight, I got my co-host with me, Sam Daring. Tonight, we're going to go ahead and tackle the top players in the ACC um, and the standout players that arise out of there. Um, obviously, some big news coming out of the ACC today um, with them going ahead and planning to move forth with the season, um, especially the fall season, not pushing it back towards the spring. Um, some more big news coming out of the Big Ten as well as the Pac-12 and the SEC, as we all know, had already made a commitment to fall football this season. Um, Sam, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more and uh, what you think about um, what's going to kind of arise out of this? I, I don't want to give away too much because, like we're about to mention, on our, we're going to have a panel tomorrow, uh, State of College Sports, part of Unwrapped University. But, I mean, again, we talked about this last week. I was, I've always been on the corner of we're not going to have college football. And we were even talking about this earlier today, too, is that, that if, if the SEC and the ACC end up being the only Power Five conferences that play, that transfer portal is going to heat up. And Mel Kuyper brought this up this morning. Uh, I believe it was Get Up. Why it was an outstanding point is if they move it to the spring, obviously there's guys like Trevor Lawrence who have nothing else to prove, Jamar Chase. But then there's guys like you look at Jamie Newman, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Not only does his draft stock plummet, but he needs that year in the spring. But if obviously, rightfully so, if he opts out because of these COVID concerns, it's definitely tough for transfer for transfer uh, players, guys coming in with their new team. Even Trey Sermon talking about that we talked about with Ohio State now last week. So I think the transfer portal is going to heat up and. Uh, we're waiting on the Big 12. They're meeting actually right now. Um, I don't think they'll come with the, come up with a decision now. I've there was a news station in Texas that said they cancel it, but then there was a Yahoo Sports report said they want to play. Um, they're leaning towards playing. They're split on the decision, meaning they want to play. They want to try and get a season in the fall. Um, but however, on the other side of things, they know they know what's coming and they know. They are aware of what will happen if they try that. And I was listening to the radio in the car earlier today, and the NFL put what? It was, I believe the number was either either 45 or $75 million towards like COVID-19 testing, the mm. protocols, and all these restrictions. The NCAA does not have money for that. And right. like it, it's going to be so tough. And like as college football fans, someone who wants to go in the college foot like in the football field like myself, it's it's really tough. And you like we talked about last week, you really feel for these players. But however, if the ACC and the SEC really do end up being the only teams that go forward with this, that transfer portal is going to heat up. Yeah, you're you're right. We don't necessarily want to dig too deep into it on our podcast right now because it's not necessarily what we want to you know put out there to to our fans and our listeners and everything like that. Um, so if you guys are definitely interested in watching um, myself and Sam as well as a bunch of other um, unwrapped sports contributors, kind of give give some good back and forth banter towards each other and what we we think. Turn it tune into uh, our unwrap this panel tomorrow night. Um, it's going to be streamed live on the Unwrapped Sports Network Twitter page as well as the Unwrapped University Twitter page as well. Um, so that'll be good there. But yeah, just kind of going off with what you're saying, um, the Big 12, or yeah, the Big 12, excuse me, is just kind of who we're waiting on. Um, I feel like this all just kind of rests on them at this point. And that's kind of why we are where we are right now in kind of a wait and see type of mode. 
um, because they're split down the middle and they can't decide themselves. So um, for them to be to take this as seriously as they are right now, mm-hmm. instead of just making a a real quick decision like the rest of these conferences did, even though it's not as quick as um, we might like to think because they've had months to make that decision. Um, but it, it's pretty quick as, as it comes into uh, the Big Ten just dropped their their schedule last week, and a week later there's um, they're canceling the season or pushing it back till spring. So um, we'll see how things go um, when it comes to that. I think if the Big Twelve doesn't join, just a little tidbit there, if they don't join um, the SEC and the ACC. Um, for this fall football season, then ultimately, I don't think the ACC and SEC will be able to carry on by themselves, um, and they'll eventually have to make that decision to cancel um, fall sports as well. But um, that's just my thought process. And like you were saying before, uh, if there is football season here in the fall, um, no matter what conferences it is, we've already seen two conferences pull out. I expect um, a lot of transfers. um, Maybe these young guys, or they might be older. uh, If they're older, guys and they get immediately eligible to go to a south southern school down in there in the sec or in the acc for say or per se um then they might be willing to take that chance to get some playing time and get some more film out there to to like send out the scouts in the nfl and everything um other guys like you're saying like justin fields or um those type of players that are already kind of solidified and have the tape and have the stock already in the nfl we're going to start seeing them opt out and uh We've kind of seen that as we've head in, headed in here towards the ACC um, with Gregory Rousseau in Miami opting out um, and some other players as well in the ACC opting out too. Uh, Caleb Farley, one of them as well from Virginia Tech. So um, pretty much that's just, we're just kind of in a wait and see mood, man. I mean, uh, hopefully we get college football in the spring. Um, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Uh, if it doesn't happen, that'll forever change the landscape of college football. I don't think we're ever going to see college football like it is or has been if that does happen, but uh, hopefully that's not the case. Yeah, for sure, definitely. But yeah, let's go ahead and hop into our uh, top ACC players and a little bit of prediction time here. And we're going to start with my favorite team, the Florida State Seminoles, my my alumni, or I'm an alumni of that school. I'm a happy alumni, uh, a very caring alumni. I love them so much. Um, pay attention to them all the time. So um, we got a bunch of talent on the squad, and we're just going to go ahead and start off with the defense there at Florida State down there in Tallahassee. And their number one overall player, uh, Marvin Wilson. What do you think of him, Sam? That's a huge – like, we, we were just talking about this before we went on air. If you take a look at their defense, they're losing some big names. They're losing quite a bit. And Marvin Wilson is definitely one of them. This guy is a guy that you can place – not only does he exceed in the interior, but he's got the talent to play all over that front defensive line. I love this guy. And another guy that is definitely going to be a huge loss, and excuse me if I'm butchering his name, it's Hamsa Nasiruddin. Or Nasiruddin. <laughs> Nasiruddin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're close. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so like you were saying, Florida State's losing a bunch of talent off of the defensive side of the ball there, starting with their best defensive tackle there in Marvin Wilson, who was the number six ranked recruit in the 2017 recruiting class. So uh, he stayed here all four years. He decided to come back for his senior season. And unfortunately for him, this all kind of came down and he's kind of got to deal with this and make a, a decision. He's come out and said himself that he plans on um, committing through this season. So we'll see. Um, but before going down with injury last season, he was playing nine. He played nine games, um, recorded 44 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, four pass breakups, and a forced fumble. Um, so 
those numbers don't necessarily wow you there, um, Sam, and in my opinion, and just watching him, you can kind of see like he's not necessarily, you know, like blowing straight through the line or anything like that, but he is so respected at his position that he demands a double team from the opposing offensive line almost every single snap. Yeah, I like this guy a lot, and I agree with you there. <clears throat> his stats don't necessarily jump out, and like there's a lot of D-line that some, many people will just say he's just a big body. Like, he's just a body. And I don't think Marvin Wilson is definitely one of those guys. And I think if he plays this year, I think they could unlock his full potential. Yeah, 100%. I feel like having a sidekick with Corey Durden really helps him. And I think that playing in the scheme that he was playing in last year and the year before that, it was very not his style. He's more of a 4-3 guy. And they started off as a 4-3 and then switched to a 3-4. And the let's just I'm just going to go out there and say it now. The coaching um, that was happening last the last two seasons at Florida State was not up to par for a Florida State defense, yet alone a Florida State team. So when you're kind of held back in your potential and you're having to take on double teams day in, day out, and you still put up decent numbers like that, then once you're back in your more comfortable position, you got a sidekick next to you who's a big hoss man like you, puts up big numbers, and then two nice edge guys off the end, and then having a linebacker come off the end as well. That's going to open up so many more holes for Marvin to be able to get through. Um, he's been named all ACC first team again this season after being named it as a junior um, and then he earned it as an honorable mention in his sophomore season. So uh, if this season is to be played, Marvin Wilson, I expect, much like you, to have a ginormous season, put up great numbers with a more comfortable defensive set that he's uh, used to. And the one player, as you started saying, this is like Marvin Wilson was a guy that, you know, was double teamed most of his career. That's pers- That's a big reason why his stats didn't um, stand out. And, the one player that really came to mind as you started talking about that was Rashawn Gary. And a lot of people, and this is me coming from, I guess, a Packer fan as well. When they picked him with the 12th pick, obviously I would have rather had guys like Brian Burns. I mean, there's that edge rushing class was loaded with talent. And Absolutely. one, not only did Rashawn Gary play with a torn labrum, and I understand that a torn labrum is an injury that affects more that affects certain positions more than others, like the offensive tackle position, like with Jonah Williams. But in 2017, Rashawn Gary went from recording um, 33 tackle, I'm sorry, 58 total tackles down to 38 total tackles. And he played four less games and he was also double teamed for the majority of that time in 2018. So like, Again, like that's just another prime example of an edge rusher that Michigan, again, you said Marvin Wilson was the top recruit in his class, one of the top recruits. Rashawn Gary was the top recruit in his recruiting class and right. when he committed to uh, Michigan, and everyone doubted him coming into the draft. And Marvin Wilson, to me, I think if Marvin Wilson opts out, he's still going to be a first-round pick, and I think he's arguably one of the best, if not one or two um, as the best defensive uh, player in this draft class. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And something that kind of separates Marvin from a bunch of other guys, um, in my opinion, is that he has a leadership and has taken on a huge leadership role. I mean, if you come in as a highly titled recruit, you are now on your third head coach since you've been there. You got recruited by Jimbo Fisher. You've been through the Willie Taggart era. Now you've got Mike Norvell. 
And then you, last year, you could have came out potentially, most likely, we're going to be a top first-round draft pick, if not high second round. And you decide that, hey, I'm going to stick it out because I didn't come here just to get drafted. I came here to build something. Like, And after seeing what <clears throat> happened after my first season and, and what's transpired since then and being able to stick around, and he wants to bring Florida State back to what Florida State's supposed to be, that just that I commend him so much for that. Not even as a Florida State fan, but you got to respect that as any from any fan base at all. If somebody sticks around, like we were saying, when Clemson had all their three defensive tackles return um, after that national championship, or when they were close to winning that national championship, to come and win a, win a national championship, that's commendable and respectable for those players to be able to come and do that. That shows tremendous leadership, and um, he should be a top round draft pick. Come come. Uh, this upcoming draft yeah and so i was gonna say something i just don't remember what it was um oh yeah and like you said he was the top recruit in his draft class and the fact that you just said it speaks volumes that he chose florida state over other top big name schools over playing under nick saban who's had a history of you know recruiting top d tackles like jonathan allen Quentin williams deron payne and they now just recruited another defensive tackle in Damon Payne. So, I mean, the fact that he chose FSU over Ohio State, LSU, and Alabama definitely speaks volumes of the type of character he is. It does. And, I mean, I mean, he came from out there in Houston, Texas. So, I mean, that's, that's a far way. Or, I mean, I guess it's kind of closer than some of these other schools. But, I mean, LSU is closer and things of that nature. But that takes a real leap of faith there and the trust too um but moving on from marvin you could talk about marvin all day um everybody knows him he's highly touted but kind of somebody who flies under the radar that you spoke about earlier is um their top rated safety out there in hampson nasral dean he's going to be a senior as well comes in at 6'4 212 big guy plays all over the field um he was not very he was a top 150 player in the 27 2017 <clears throat> recruiting class um so that same recruiting class that marvin was in and um, he, again, like Marvin, is coming back for a senior season. And since 2014, he has recorded 100 tackles in a season each season and has compiled, and last year compiled 101 tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, three forced fumbles, two picks, three pass deflections, and a fumble recovery, all before he got hurt in the last game of the season versus our rivals, Florida. So uh, if that doesn't tell you right there that this guy is just all over the field and loves to get around the ball, I don't know what else does. Yeah, and you said it right there. He's a guy that can play all over. He's a dude that screams versatility, and he, he's got the height. He's got the body frame, and I was just talking about this with Matt Skura on our Sportscaster live show about an hour or so ago. We were ta- I was talking about Troy Dye, or Troy, yeah, Troy Dye, or Troy Pride Jr. that the Panthers drafted, and that's another guy that on, not only does he excel in zone coverage, but he's a guy that does he is really effective in the passing game with his body length and I think that's exactly what I feel I that's exactly what I think Hamster Nazarene is I mean he's a guy that can play all over the secondary yeah I mean you can place him at either shaking <clears throat> position you can place him at boundary corner even if you wanted to just because of his length and he like he doesn't necessarily have the speed but he has he's 6'4 so I mean you have a big long stride dude's long lengthy got great arm length and that's what you really look for 
um, for somebody back there. He loves to come up and run. He loves to come up there and, and watch the quarterback and do all that good stuff. So like you were saying, he's probably one of the most versatile players in the country. Um, and the thing is about him is that he's very, um, you know, under the radar, like I said before, and not a lot of people talk about him. I mean, when you even watch a Florida State game, like he'll make a play, but you don't even like, oh man, like, ooh, but it's just a real solid play. Like he just does his job extremely, extremely well. And whoever drafts this man is going to get an extremely, extremely good player. And he's going to probably be in the league for a long time as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, there's so many guys. I mean, we're obviously going to talk more about this part on the panel tomorrow, but like, obviously, depending on how this season rolls out, if the ACC plays or even if ACC and the SEC play, it's definitely going to be interesting how the draft unfolds. And I know I mentioned on the first panel about a month ago that next year's draft class is going to be even more unpredictable than this year's draft class. Someone mentioned, and I fully agree, there's going to be some unusual... There may be some unusual trades or even more trades than we've seen than in last year's draft. And there are quite a few names. Like the Senior Bowl has been a game for the past few years now that players have made a name for themselves. This past year's draft class, two big ones were Josh Jones on the offensive side and Kyle Duggar on the defensive side. And if... They have a senior bowl if this spring, if, if hopefully COVID, hopefully everything starts dying down, goes away. If we have a senior bowl, I mean, if they have restrictions, reduced fans, reduced personnel, and Hamster Nasruddin gets his shot, I truly think he will be the guy to soar his way up the draft boards on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And if he... I feel like if he gets more tape this season and like he can actually show like he's a playmaker instead of just, you know, I think he's had to make up a lot for um, Florida State's defense these past few years. Their corners haven't been able to lock down. They were playing out of position. They weren't um, covering well. They weren't turning around to to spot the ball while it's in the air or anything like that. So he's kind of had to make up and be or the linebackers weren't, weren't filling gaps they were supposed to to stop a run. And he's kind of been that last line of defense. And so he's kind of had to make that, those plays. So that's why his tackles are up at 100 in each of his past three seasons, you know? So, like, that's one of those things. Like, if he can have um, trust and reliability in his teammates that surround him and not have to be that last line of defense, then you can start seeing him be a playmaker and use those instincts that are obviously there because of what he can do. And that would be great for him. But if not, if this season doesn't happen and we just go straight into a combine, maybe his testing and everything there Mm -hmm. will be able to boost him up. But even if he doesn't, I still see him as a top. He's one of those first or second day guys, you know, and if you get him in the second day, that's an absolute steal. Yeah, I agree. And like, if you look at his past two seasons, he's been consistent, he's been reliable, and he's got all the talent and the tools in the world to definitely be drafted within the first three rounds. A hundred percent. And we'll move over from uh, the defensive side of the ball there for Florida State over to the offensive side of the ball. And the big plate maker over there is wide receiver Tamorian Terry, who perhaps, in my opinion, um, can battle the top wide receivers there for being one of the top receivers in the nation. Doesn't get a lot of love, but for being one of the top receivers in the AC, battling with Tutu Atwell and and Sage Surratt and um, Justin Ross there at Clemson. I mean, 
if you if you have those four guys, I would put Tamori and Terry either there at at two or three, somewhere right there in the middle. Um, he's just a big wide receiver, six four, two ten. Um, second team all C A all ACC selection <clears throat> last year. Um, caught sixty passes for one thousand one hundred eighty eight yards and nine touchdowns. Um, and then that was with Willie Taggart and Willie Taggart's um, lethal simplicity offense or whatever he likes to call it. Um, but that's a different type of offense. It was either Terry, you're going long, or Terry, run a slant, or Terry, run a bubble. You know, it's not anything anything too difficult for him to do. But what I want to see from Terry this year is a little bit more advanced from that. Like, let's see that route running. Let's see what you can get into. Let's see if you can get in and out of that break. What's it look like? Um, do a little bit more than what we typically see from Terry is him just, like, doing a little five-yard slant. Boom, I catch it. I'm gone for a touchdown. Or I hit a little stop and go on the outside and then I'm gone and then my quarterback hits me 50 yards in the air and the wide receiver or the cornerback can't catch me or isn't tall enough to bat the ball down so we've got a little bit to see here from Terry but he is a huge weapon um, in my opinion for Florida State's offense yeah and I think we talked about this a while ago I, I to me I think Tamari and Terry not only is he underrated but I, I think he's more polished in, in certain areas of his route running than others to certain like areas like you just mentioned, there's areas of his short routes where, I mean, he does short cut and slants, but then there's others where he just runs deep down the field. So like, I think he's definitely more polished in his route running, um, in certain areas. And another thing, he's six four and he's over two hundred pounds, and he definitely has elite speed. And he does a not he does a phenomenal job at creating separation with his defenders. So I think for his size, he is very impressive speed yeah i mean and even going off of that it's it's listed 210 here but i obviously being a florida state fan i've kept up with everything that's going on and the type of regimen that's going on there in the weight room and everything like that and the nutrition and he's actually up to 222 <laughs> which is pretty amazing and i've seen some videos of you know the practices that they just got started and everything and he still has the breakaway speed and i'm like dude how how are you moving at that speed at 222 pounds? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely insane. And, like, that's always a plus, too, for, you know, players with that size. And another one is, this may be the opposite, but a one guy in this draft class was Quintez Cephas, a guy that really did not have a good combine and ran, I believe, over a, he, I think his, if I remember correctly, his 40 was a 4.7. I know it was not impressive at all, but I don't think he touches the field this year unless it's special teams. But the dude has outstanding athletic ability. And, I mean, if you watch Tamori and Terry play, I know I mentioned that he has certain areas of his route running that are, you know, more polished than other areas. And you mentioned that there's – the areas that you mentioned that he could definitely improve on – but there's plays definitely on like deep passes where his strides is just like it's just a unique trait of his that he can just get by and create that separation with his defenders. Yeah, it's it's pretty intriguing because in the past, looking at Florida like big Florida State wide receivers, the first two that come to mind that are more recent are Kelvin Benjamin and Auden Tate. And in my opinion, Tamorion is more of a mixture of both of those guys. We saw Auden get the separation, and and he had more of like you know the speed, and I'm gonna bump you off or whatever. And then KB was more of a I'm gonna go up and get it type guy, you know. And then 
as KB kind of advanced through his career, he became more of that more solidified route runner. And so if Tamori Terry can kind of do that, then that'll translate extremely well for him to the NFL. Hopefully, um, he'll he'll keep his weight under control and not be like Kelvin Benjamin. <laughs> 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 but um, that's a that's a real hopeful for me with Terry um, uh, Terry there when it comes to um, getting his name into the draft and getting a high pick. And another like kind of you know minor issue I guess for just because of his position that he's at is his blocking is not necessarily consistent. There's definitely times, and it's the same thing with Brevin Jordan, which we'll definitely get to when we get to Miami, is <laughs> there's times where he'll start he'll start too high or he's not as aggressive. And like he like this to me is a minor issue just because we just talked about he's so tall and he's got all the talent and the skill set, not even 210 anymore. You just said he's 222. So I mean to me, I think he has all the talent and the skill set in the world to kind of develop that trait. And I don't think that's necessarily a trait that would drop his draft stock a whole lot. But to me, that's just a minor issue that I that I found. Yeah, and, and it's a good point to point out. I mean, he's not very consistent with his blocking, but you do see the highlight blocks whenever he does make them. And they're, they're just right. very impressive. He'll put some dude on, on their butt real quick or real hard, and it's impressive. But then when it's a missed one and it's it's very obvious as well and it's just like dude come on um but terry in my opinion also needs help from the rest of his offense and that's kind of where the question mark lies when it comes to florida state florida state's got all the talent in the world on defense and you can coach that up and eventually as kids get older they'll be better but when it comes to the offense it's very schematic and you really need to be able to hone in and they've really lacked on um the offensive line these past couple past few years, excuse me, um, have not done a good job at all, have been very below average. Um, so that's hard to do. You don't give your quarterback enough time to get the ball out. It, it's not going to lead to production, in my opinion. And hopefully that'll be an improvement for them. And then also going to the quarterback. Um, he's had an exchange of quarterback. We've talked about um, <laughs> mine and your favorite quarterback that transferred from <laughs> your school to my school um, in, in Horny Brook. Um, so we saw how that experience worked out. He was supposed to lead us to, you know, whatever we were supposed to be, but that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but besides that, I mean, he's had James Blackman for a couple or a few years in and out of the in and out of the starting quarterback position as well. Hopefully, uh, Jay Black can uh, make that that next step in, in his senior year as well and be a better quarterback. If not, they got some pretty talented uh, freshmen coming in and Chubba Purdy and Luke Altmeyer. So um, we'll see there when it comes to the quarterback position. And then one of my favorite things that has been added to Florida State has been running back to Sean Corbin, the transfer out of Texas A&M. Um, he had a hamstring injury the past season and got an immediate, immediate eligibility um, because of that injury. And um, I'm pretty excited to watch him run back there in that backfield. Yeah, that's another, that's exactly the position I was going to get to is with the loss of Cam Akers. And Cam Akers, everyone was wrong about it. I, I was right there from the start. I was there when he was recruited by Florida State. Mary is a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I, I always love players that have played multiple positions, not even on just one side of the ball, but like Zach Bond, like I mentioned last week, I love guys that throughout their football career, they have played both sides of the ball because, I mean, not only is that very, uh, like a unique trait, but that will, that definitely helps them as they get farther into their career. Right. But Cam Akers, 
is a guy that I knew right away was going to soar his way up the boards. And he definitely got, he proved it. He definitely got drafted higher than a lot of people expected to the Rams. But I mean, that's a huge loss. And you mentioned uh, Corbin coming in, a guy, a transfer, unfortunately dealt with an injury. And I mean, I keep on seeing, like, the more I bring this up, the more pumped I just get about talking about there's so much to unwrap tomorrow on this panel is this transfer portal thing, granting players immediate eligibility. And unfortunately, Corbin dealt with an injury, but he's going to be the guy to step up because there's not that running back room. Not only is it unproven, but outside of him, it's not very deep. Right. And, and it, it was a little bit deep, but then we just dismissed, um, dismissed, excuse me, uh, running back Kaylin Laybourne, um, although he was unproven himself coming off of an injury two seasons ago and then also having trouble off the field and not being able to totally put it together. I mean, you're a five, four, five-star running back when you're recruiting class. You show up to the seven-on-seven seven or 11-on-11 in a Lamborghini and with Florida State arrows on the side and everything, and you got so much hype behind you, and then you like have one great play in one season and then you get hurt and then it's just all downhill from there. And then you get dismissed from the team and now you're gone. So that leaves our backfield. We've brought in a LaDamian Webb, who's a transfer. We've um, got a, um, a freshman in uh, Lawrence Toafili, who's supposed to be pretty, pretty decent. We got a Corey Wren as well, a little speedster, but like you said, it's not very deep now either. And it's not very proven. So Deshaun's really going to have to step up his game here and hopefully get back to the level at what at what Jimbo Fisher had him at there at Texas A&M before his injury. Yeah, for sure. They're definitely going to be an interesting team to watch. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll move on from uh, my, my Knowles and we'll jump into uh, one of my rivals here, and that is going to be um, the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, you want to start us off there? Yeah, and we're – I mean, they just – Signed Rhett Lashley early in the offseason, who actually finished in the top 10. He ranked at number 7 in the SMU offense. And if you watch Miami's offense, Mm -hmm. they do a really, really nice job at utilizing their tight ends. And I know we talked about Pat Frumuth last week, and a trait that kind of stands him out, sets him apart from the others, is that he's versatile. He's a guy that can not only play tight end, but he, he can be utilized and he's productive in the backfield. And yeah, he's a yards after catch machine, but this is a trait that I really like about Brevin Jordan. And in 2019, um, he averaged 8.9 or 8.3, I'm sorry, yards after the catch. And and I don't remember if I was telling you this or not. If Brevin Jordan was taller, if he had the Kyle Pitts height and the body frame. Mm-hmm you could consider him being the number two tight end. Because I think I would put Brevin Jordan at three, but I think it's pretty darn close between him and Kyle Pitts. But I love Brevin Jordan. He's going to be so much fun to watch. I think if he opts out, he could potentially be a first-round pick. Um, it all depends on the teams. Because I could definitely name you like two or three teams. Um, the Saints are definitely the first one that come to mind. I can definitely name you two to three teams that could use a tight end in the first round or could potentially draft one in the first round. But to me, it's that's all about which player they value more so than others or which one will be the better fit. Right, and yeah, like <clears throat> Brevin Jordan's their guy. Um, Brevin Jordan's their guy. We've got a lot of tape on him. He's played 1,125 snaps in this offense as a junior. 
here, and he started 21 games for Miami. So that's a lot of games starting there at, at UM. Um, and then bringing in Rhett Lashley. Um, Rhett Lashley actually utilizes his tight end extremely well. I don't know if um, you watched a lot of SMU last year. They The tight end was almost involved on pretty much every play, whether it be blocking or running a seam or just being kind of a decoy in, in the game as well. So, I mean, that is only going to help Jordan Brevin in this offense. And not just that, but Miami as a whole already use, utilizes their tight ends um, very heavily, whether that be, you know, David Njoku uh, a couple <clears throat> years ago or, I mean, all the way back to, to Shockley, in, in Shockley, excuse me, <laughs> and all those guys. So, like, I mean, it's just, you know, it, Miami's always done that. And for Brevin Jordan, if he he's not, he not necessarily has, like, the tallest guy or whatever, but he, he plays hard and um, he's one of those guys, he's a playmaker, you know, at the tight end position. And that's what um, a lot of guy or a lot of NFL scouts, excuse me, are looking for, along with being a very solid blocker. Yeah, and not only is he a yards after catch machine, but he's a guy with elite hands. He averaged 14.1 yards. Um, per reception, he had 45 targets. He only had one drop pass in 2019. So out of those 45 targets, I'm pretty sure this was the most, if I'm not mistaken, it was the most by any Power 5 tight end with a minimum of 45 targets. Wow. So he had 45 targets, and he only dropped one pass in 2019. And like you mentioned, SMU, I mean, you're probably more familiar with this offense than I am. Rhett Lashley, the fact that he is coming in with a experience and knowing how to use tight ends i know there's so much uncertainty now with college football and whether like who knows if brevin jordan could be the guy to opt out but if they end up postponing or playing in the fall or playing in the spring this is a guy that i'm really really excited to watch with the new offensive coordinator and not not just a new one but one that knows how to utilize tight ends in an offense that already does a phenomenal job utilizing that position yeah, I mean, you, you don't even really have to talk about their wide receivers because he is their guy. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. Brevin Jordan's their guy. I mean, they've got decent wide receivers there on the outside, but um, not necessarily guys we, we can talk about here right now, maybe later at a later date and in the future we can, but right now it's all the Brevin Jordan game. And um, the whole, whole thing with Brevin Jordan here is going to be can his quarterback uh, – make him shine like he's supposed to shine like he's 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 kind of gotten that those glimpses here and there in the past but he hasn't necessarily had that quarterback to to be there and like be his guy you know and now we have somebody coming over from the university of houston yeah and Derek king is he he's been a guy like ever since he hit the transfer portal he's gotten a lot of hype around him and and like you just mentioned, Miami really hasn't had the last quarterback that I can think of that was actually, like, good at Miami was Brad Kaya. I mean, that's not too long ago, but, like, they haven't really had a, like, that's, you know. That's good. That's good, Sam. That's good, not great. <laughs> yeah, but, again, like, they don't, they, have, they don't really have, like, you know, a solidified, a solidified quarterback that really stands out in the ACC. So, I mean, now that Derek King is coming in, with, you know, like you just mentioned twice now, with Brevin Jordan's going to have to be their number one guy because there, there has to be a guy in their receiving core that steps up. But for now, all eyes on that offense are on Brevin Jordan and Derrick King. Yeah, and it's going to be the Derrick King and Brevin Jordan show and probably a mixture of running backs there in the backfield. 
Um, but Derek King is the big guy coming in, um, transfer out of Houston, like I was saying before. Um, very highly touted guy in college as and as a transfer, like you were saying. I know Florida State was after him for a while, and then once, once Kendall Browse went to Arkansas, I'm sure um, that relationship there kind of piqued his interest and in if you want to go to Arkansas, but um, eventually ended up there in Miami. Um, what's really surprising to me is I didn't I didn't know this about Derek, but he was only a three-star quarterback and ranked the 396th player in the 2016 recruiting class, so not highly recruited out of high school. I, I'm assuming that's why he ended up at, at Houston. He's uh, very undersized, and that might be why, um, but he has had an extremely, extremely dominant career there at Houston, um, and he's coming to the ACC to play against better competition with 4,925 passing yards, 1,421 rushing yards on top of that, 78 total touchdowns, so 50 passing, 28 rushing. And in 2018, he became one of only three quarterbacks in FBS history. So all of college, or not all of college football, all of D1 uh, college football history with at least 35 passing touchdowns and 13 rushing touchdowns in a season. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know he was like not a top recruit. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, like you just mentioned, a big reason is that he's undersized. And a good example of a guy coming to play in a better competition is, again, also Jamie Newman. But, I mean, Derek King, it's definitely going to be the Derek King and Brevin Jordan show on that offensive side of the ball. And I'm really excited to see what Rhett Lashley can do with that offense with a quarterback that, like you said, he lit it up in Houston. Yeah, he absolutely lit it up. And, I mean, he, it's decent, decent, you know, competition out there at Houston. But, I mean, it's not not great competition it's not acc level competition it's it's different you know um although the acc isn't you know the sec or anything like that but it's still an up in competition level so um i expect him to he'll be challenged in certain games and especially with like we said before his height um but being able to have a reliable tight end and being able to drop that off even there to your tight end is very reliable option um, what really comes to mind when it comes to that Miami offense in the question mark is going to be that running back room. Most of them all are freshmen. So you've got uh, Ron Chaney, uh, who's a freshman coming in. You've got um, who's the other other guy that chose Miami over Florida State. I forget his name. Um, let me look it up real I'm quick. Jalen Cameron Jay, Harris and then Jalen Knight. Jalen Knight, another freshman guy. I'm not sure who else is in their backfield. They're just two guys right off the top of my head that um, they're real young running backs, and they've got all the talent in the world, but we got to see them produce um, at this college football level and not put up, you know, the staggering numbers that they did in high school. You're not going to be able to do that once you once you come over. Um, so that it leaves there's a lot of young, young, young talent on this Miami team, and it's really going to be up to Miami or to excuse me, not Miami, uh, Manny Diaz. <clears throat> Um, the head coach there at Miami to kind of trust and rely in Rhett Lashley to be able to get um, these guys in the positions to be able to make plays for their offense and De'Aaron King coming in for uh, his final season. One one area I'm really excited to talk about with Miami is their defense for sure. I feel like that's always a very fun topic to talk about when it comes to Miami. And we'll just go ahead and start off with perhaps uh, the biggest loss for them here. And that's their uh, defensive end, Gregory Russo, uh, who just decided to opt out, like we were talking about Brevin Jordan possibly doing. 
Um, Gregory Rousseau went ahead and did that. And so Miami is going to miss out on a huge piece of their puzzle there. Uh, he finished last season with 15 sacks, Sam. 15. Yeah, and this this is unbelievable. Per pro football focus, through Miami's first five games of the season, he was averaging just 22 snaps per game, but he had four sacks and three and a half tackles, three and a half tackles for loss by that. And not to mention, he is a mass. He is a mountain of a man. He is 6'7", 260 pounds. And I know some people might say he might be a little bit on the lighter side. And, like, he definitely could, like, gain a little bit more weight. But, like, that's not a weakness at all. Like, he he is unbelievable. And, like, that, like you mentioned, that is a huge loss. It's a huge loss. And, I mean, and the thing is about him is that, like, he his twitch man like for how big he is he like six foot seven two sixty and you have a twitch like he does to be able to just as soon as you see the ball or hear the quarterback even just start to, to hike the ball and you are off and you just have a quick twitch like you're a wide receiver or something is absolutely out of this world in my opinion as a defensive end who is six seven two sixty. Yeah, he. <laughs> He's dynamic, he's versatile, he has the body frame to be explosive both on the in and the outside, and I would build my defense around Gregory Rosell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as he was named 2019 ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year as well as first team All-ACC and is the only freshman uh, to compile double-digit sacks and the only freshman in FBS to finish ranked in the top 40 in sacks as a freshman in the history. So... Um, the talent coming from this three-star guy out of high, like three stars, three stars, and he's right. putting up this type of numbers. Out of, like uh, it's it's incredible, and I understand why he's opting out. I mean, you don't want to risk anything when you don't know what's going to happen. When you know the type of talent level you have, it's like one of these college guys taking out, you know, a I forget what they're called when they would take out like a a thing. I don't know exactly what it's called, but they would take out. Um, like health insurance is on themselves because in case they got hurt or anything like that, that's kind of, I mean, that's what these guys are doing who are ultimately deciding to opt out. Yeah, definitely. And the one name, obviously, like you meant, like the turnover chain, Miami, and Gregory Rosso obviously is a big name. They also don't have Jonathan Garvin, which when I was reading up on him after the Packers drafted him in the seventh round, it seemed like there were quite a few Miami fans that were a bit shocked that he decided to enter a year early and thought that he could have used another year to develop. Um, but, I mean, so now they don't have Rosso, they don't have Jonathan Garvin. And the one big name played three years at Temple and um, now coming into Miami as a transfer, and that's Quincy Roche. And he played on the outside, so now they're going to hopefully bring him in and use him all over that front line. And this is another guy that screams versatility. He's 6'3", 245 pounds. And again, his stats don't scream out at you. I mean, he had... Um, actually, I'm reading those numbers wrong. He had 36. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> 36 and 13 sacks. So that that's unbelievable. And like, coming, coming from Temple, playing yeah. under... Playing under Playing at the school that I mean, Matt Rule took to bowl contention, went from and then he took Baylor from a one-win team to a team that now everyone talks about in the Big Twelve, 
So Quincy Rocher, Quincy Rocher, to, to me, he is in for a big year. And now with the loss of Jonathan Garvin and Gregor Rosso, he is that next guy to step up on that Miami defense. Right, and he, he's going to have to fill that void that is left by those two guys, and especially Rousseau. He was, I mean, they were supposed to be, you know, the most dominant defensive line for this upcoming season, and albeit, I mean, Clemson's got a great defensive line as well, but, I mean, you have Quincy Roche coming off the end along with uh, Rousseau on the other side. Good luck. Um all power to you, you're not going to be able to stop either one of them in, you know, any time you drop back as a quarterback. So um, that's a huge loss for Miami having Rousseau leave. Um, Quincy Roche is going to have to fill some big shoes there. Um, being the number one guy, I mean, being the number one guy at Temple and being the number one guy on Miami's defensive line is a whole different, different level. Although we saw him put up amazing numbers at Temple. It's going to be interesting to see how that translates. I, I don't see it being a huge problem for him just because, like you said, the numbers he put up, those should be very consistent, if not, you know, like one or two under there, transferring over to the ACC, and he should be a nice first-round pick. Um, another guy who's very twitchy first step right off the ball, everything like that. Um, but somebody else who kind of has to fill that defensive end shoe that Rousseau's late, Russo, excuse me, is looking behind his defensive end, Jalen Phillips, who's a junior. Um, and he's kind of he's there tra- that transfer from UCLA. Yeah, and like you mentioned, Quincy, like that Miami defense has huge shoes to fill. But with the unbelievable stats that Quincy Roche put up, um, is remarkable, and he has all the talent in the world to do so and fill those shoes. And I'll be honest with you, this guy, this transfer, Jalen Phillips, you just mentioned, I'm not too familiar with him. You want to give us a little more of a background on him? Yeah, so he um, he had five starts at UCLA, so he's not necessarily a regular starter, but, I mean, he played 420 defensive snaps while there. He's a junior, um, and he was ranked as the number one overall player in the country um, in the 2017 class, so really highly touted out of high school and just never really got it going there at UCLA. So um, maybe moving to a different conference that is able to bring out those abilities. I don't mean to, you know, poo-poo on the Pac-12 or anything, but... Um, it's a different level of football, in my opinion. You get a totally, totally different type of development when you're down there um, in the South or um, even there up North and like in the Big Ten or anything like that. It's just a totally different um, developmental system, and you get that weight, you get that, you know, that push, that extra drive. It's not all uh, pretty and everything like that. Like everything in the Pac-12 needs to be smooth and stuff like that. It's not like that here. Um, so maybe that'll be good for him, and it'll be good to hopefully see Jalen Phillips become that number one because I do remember him being talked about so highly um, coming out of high school and then not really doing much and just kind of um, being put in the backdrop and not being talked about in college. And I just feel like UCLA has tended to do that more often than not here as of recent. So hopefully uh, he'll be able to contribute to that, that defensive line. Yeah, and UCLA has kind of been a team the past few years that has kind of fallen off the map. And... And like you mentioned, like the, with the amount of games that he played in, he played in less than 10 games the past two years um, with UCLA, and he was kind of used just kind of as a depth, a role player. So I'm interested to see how, you know, he kind of steps up in, you know, a tougher conference. The ACC is definitely tougher than the Pac-12. It's the third best conference in college football. And I'm interested to see. It's a role player, a guy that, 
you know, was kind of used as more depth, and he has the talent. And it'll be interesting to see how Miami, if, if Miami can truly unlock that full potential of Jalen Phillips. Yeah, and hopefully that's the case. Um, we just got to hope, and that's pretty much the strong point of Miami's defense is that defensive line. Obviously, they're, that's where it starts for them. Um, when it comes to their DB room, um, I mean, a key thing on the line, they've got Jafari Harvey, who's a redshirt freshman, who um, is going to contribute there on the defensive end as well, and then Chance Williams as well. So it all starts there for them, and then they've also got a talented freshman DB and Avante Williams coming in. So, I mean, they've got some, and Bubba Bolden as well there on the defensive backfield that's a junior and had one start. So, a lot of young talent and not a lot of proven commodities there on Miami's back end of their defense. But um, they're really going to rely on that front seven and uh, really, really, you know, put it on their backs to be able to get the job done and, and move their defense and move the offense in the opposite direction. Yeah, one name that kind of stands out because the stats – he didn't play a whole lot, unfortunately, because of an injury. And that's senior Zach McLeod. Um, coming into 2020, he only played three games and recorded five solo tackles. So, I mean, his stats, obviously, coming into now, he's going to be a fifth year. They're not going to be ones that stand out. And he's going to be the guy to – to me, I think he's going to be – he's going to have to be the guy to watch in that middle front of that linebacker core. And he's he's to me, I think he's got a bit to prove as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've, they've got a bit to prove there on defense. But like we said, Miami likes to hang their hat there. So um, I expect it to be very well coached. Manny Diaz likes to be in charge. So um, expect him to do a decent job there on defense. Um, the only thing that concerns me with Manny Diaz is that I don't think he's a very good coach overall because um, it has yet to be proven. But um, hopefully that is something that he can sure up here with bringing in Rhett Lashley on the offense and then kind of put together a, a decent squad there in Miami and not just kind of be, you know, you know, the Miami who's back at the beginning of the year and then all of a sudden just falls off. Yeah, and we talked about this before. Miami very well could have the overrated tag on them pretty quickly. They're a team the past few years. They've been seen as a top 10, top 15 team. Pretty sure it was even the top 10 the past, like, what, two, three years now, and they end up below the top 10. They just disappoint. So, I mean, they, they to me, I think they definitely have a lot to prove. And outside of Quincy Roche, there's definitely a lot of question marks. Yeah, definitely are. Um, so, hope, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Miami be back just because that would probably mean that Florida State would probably be good too, and, you know, that would provide great clashes. So, um, but unfortunately, we haven't been able to see that. And um, leaning off of Miami here, we'll lean into the top dog of the conference. And that is my other one of my other rivals in the Clemson Tigers. And we're going to start with um, everybody's beloved uh, favorite player in Sunshine, T-Law. If you watch Trevor Lawrence from 2018 to 2019, and I think I, I don't want to repeat myself a ton later like I did a few weeks ago, but he's really come a long way. And there's a few games, obviously, he played like any other freshman would when he came in for Kelly Bryant. And there were, he had a mi few minor accuracy issues. I mean, there were the one game that really stood out was the North Carolina game, like I talked about last week in 2018 where he had a few underthrown, overthrown passes. And obviously there were others, there were a lot of others where his receivers just couldn't catch the ball. Um, but, and we were talking about Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. 
if Trevor Lawrence is outstanding at throwing on the run, and he, watching him in 2018, he definitely showed off his mobility early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard not to repeat ourselves, but I mean, this guy is as good as the talk and as good as the numbers represent for him. I mean, coming out of high school, five star, number one ranked in the 2018 recruiting class, like can't you can't dismiss that at all. Um, 2018 looked all all the hype and everything that w- that it was worth. I mean, he became the first true freshman quarterback to lead his team to a national title since 1985, um, earned National Freshman of the Year honors, ACC Rookie of the Year honors, um, and then kind of in the 2018 or 2019 season, excuse me, kind of took those lumps, um, didn't necessarily have the season that he had his freshman year, but still looked all that he was built up to be and looked to be that quarterback. Um, we've seen quarterbacks in the past who have kind of slipped off um, in their sophomore campaigns, um, i.e. Jameis Winston, for instance, throwing all the picks in his sophomore year after having one hell of a year his freshman year. So um, it's to be expected. Teams start catching on it or anything. But Trevor was, for the most part, able to get around that, like you were saying, Sam, and um, led them to another ACC championship game and then to the college football playoff, um, unfortunately losing to LSU. And we all know how that turned out with LSU eventually becoming the national champion. So. Yeah, and like out of all the quarterbacks in this coming draft class, Trevor Lawrence was definitely the most fun to really watch grow. Like watch his game grow. You definitely saw a few weaknesses pop out right away. Like definitely his accuracy, but like he he's definitely a very fun. He was he's a fun quarterback to watch grow. And we we've mentioned this before, and I'm I'm hoping everyone agrees is. If Trevor Lawrence opts out, obviously he already said he doesn't want to opt out. He feels like he has more to prove. If Trevor Lawrence opts out, he's still going to be the number one pick. He absolutely ha- he has zero left to prove. And some people are going to think the same thing with Justin Fields. To me, I just I just feel like I have to see more of Justin Fields if I think he's going to be if I like for me to fully believe that he is going to be an elite franchise quarterback. Yeah, definitely. And we had this talk when we were talking the Big Ten um, a week or two ago. And when we were talking about Justin Fields, because, I mean, it's these two guys. It's Fields or it's T- or Trevor Lawrence. Um, and like you were saying, Trevor Lawrence is definitely going to be the number one overall pick, whether he sits the season out or he does not. Um, he's your prototypical 6'6", 220, tall quarterback, can pocket pass, but can also um, pass extremely well and very accurate outside of the pocket as well. Um, in his last two seasons, his only two seasons in college, he's thrown and completed 66% of his passes with 66 touchdowns to just 12 interceptions. Um, and then eight of those just came in that 2019 stretch where he just had a real hard time <clears throat> to figure it out or wide receivers weren't doing what they're supposed to do or he was under-throwing balls and just trying to make the play that wasn't there. Um, and that he started to figure that out. So, I mean, if eight out of your 12 interceptions come in, in that stretch of period of time, uh, that that's really telling that, hey, you had this rough stretch and then you got out of that is really telling, too, that he's got this type of moxie in him that he's going to be able to right the ship and kind of get back to what we know him um, to do and what we know that he can do. Yeah, and I really love the, I mean, we'll, we can dig more deep into this other quarterback that is hopefully very well could be the successor under Trevor Lawrence, and that's DJ Ugalele. Um, but we can definitely dig more into him a little bit more in depth um, once we kind of get closer to his, you know, time to shine. But I really love 
I really love the connection that Dabo Sweeney really makes with his quarterbacks. You know, we saw Kelly Bryant, obviously, <laughs> transferred as soon as he uh, lost the job. And unfortunately, we won't get to Duke today. But the one, court, the one player I wanted to, you know, kind of bring up is Chase Bryce. And my buddy, one of my good friends is a Georgia fan. Mm-hmm. And we were talking. One... I, I compare his situation a lot to Jalen Hurts. You know, I mean, Ch- Chase Bryce, I think that shows a lot of maturity on his level. The, the fact that he was able to go as long as he did, sitting at the backup position. You know, I mean, Kelly Bryant came in. As soon as he left, Dabble Sweeney didn't have enough trust in Chase Bryce to put him in that offense. And so he put Trevor Lawrence in. And then, you know, Chase Bryce goes this long. And then enters the transfer portal and go to Duke. And I mean, if not, I'm not mistaken, I know basketball does this, but if you transfer from your conference, so if he goes from Clemson to Duke, Clemson can block him from going to that school. I'm not sure if that's the football. I know for a I fact. Think, I think it used to be the case, but I'm not 100% now. Okay, yeah, because I know it's still for basketball. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we were talking about Georgia. Chase Price would have been an interesting one to play at Georgia. I mean, especially a, a team that runs heavy. Chase Price isn't overly mobile. And another weakness, you know, that I kind of found in Trevor Lawrence early is he's a guy that went from panicking and panicking under deep pressure with the short passes because that's I think that's kind of when the accuracy got in his way. But then the more games you watch, especially into 2019. He's more comfortable with the Dabo Sweeney offense, especially when he has all these weapons. And moving over to the receivers, Justin Ross is a huge loss um, for the Tigers. He also loses T. Higgins. And the next guy to step up is Amari Rogers. Is Justin Ross still there? No, Justin, well, he's still there. But he had a neck injury actually a few months ago, and uh, he already, they already announced that he's done for the year. I forgot year. about that. I totally mm-hmm. forgot about that. that. Yeah, that's a huge loss for them. What were you saying? I'm sorry. I was saying, yeah, so the next guy to step up in that place, and we've seen sparks from him before, and I think he's capable of being the top guy, the top weapon for Trevor Lawrence, and that's Amari Rogers. Yeah, he's a a nice little piece to their offense, and he was going to be a great supplement to to Justin Ross there, and now we're going to see he's he's a little bit younger guy, and we're going to have to see him step up, be that number one now. So um, we've saw we've seen a little bit of flashes from him um, in the past year. But again, he was behind T. Higgins and Justin Ross. And he's kind of had to deal with that, being the number three guy. So you move from three to one real quick. Uh, I don't remember who you were talking about a week or two ago, but they made the same move. And it's going to be a tough little adjustment, but I don't see it being a problem for Amari Rogers, highly touted um, recruit himself. So um, it should be a fairly simple um, transport transfer transfer for him from the number three to the number one um so that's going to be the real question marcus who's going to step up behind amari um because their running back room is pretty solidified by one big workhorse there yeah and i was on twitter and this is another guy you know i kind of follow and he he's a guy that kind of he's not a professional i mean he's like me he's kind of aspires to you know be an nfl draft analyst and I want you to take a guess at who his number one running back in the draft class is. He's definitely talented. Don't get me wrong. I'd probably he's one hundred percent arguably in my 
top four, top five running back rankings. And it's not Travis Etienne. It is not Najee Harris. And it's not Chuba Hubbard. Take a guess at who do you think his number one running back is. Who's he, who else does he have left? Jay, Jay, uh, the guy from Louisville? Um, J.B. Man- Hawkins? Nope. Who? If you watch him, he's pretty darn impressive, but he's not better than Travis Etienne. That's Memphis running back Kenneth Gainwell. Oh, uh, well, that makes sense, but you can you, they line Gainwell up everywhere. Right. And Travis Etienne definitely shocked the college football world by staying back. Because I think if he... I think if he entered this year, arguably, I think he was top three. You could argue maybe even being the best running back in the draft class. But I think he... The whole thing with that, though, is this running back class was so deep compared to this upcoming year. Yeah, but if you look at, I mean, outside of Travis Etienne, I don't think the hole is as big as people think. I mean, it's definitely bigger than 20, but... But he fit into that group last year is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that. I think it's like Jonathan Taylor, whereas Travis Etienne, what he's not really proven in the receiving game, and that might have been a big reason why he wanted to stay back is because he wanted to prove he wanted to prove to everyone that he can be that all round running back. And like I mentioned last week with Jonathan Taylor, he was utilized less and less in that offense. And I don't know if that was sort of a loss of faith or confidence in him in that, but I mean, he, when he was used in there, he produced. And we've seen, like, little sparks of Travis Etienne in there. And his, his passing game, his receiving game stats, they're not going to wow you. But to me, I wonder, I'm wondering if that was a huge reason why he stayed back. Um, but Travis Etienne, like one of those guys like Dylan Moses and Alex Leatherwood, like we mentioned two weeks ago, like he's on, he was on my list definitely of those guys that shocked everyone and stayed back. Yeah, he was perhaps one of the bigger shocks to everybody. Just like you were saying before, he could have fit right into that running back class that we just saw get taken. Um, Maybe he saw, like kind of what I was saying, that this running back class is not as deep, but um, maybe he can separate himself out. And we were talking, you were just talking about like his receiving, um, trying to improve his receiving skills or something like that. And something that kind of like kind of, stuck out to me is that he only needs 795 yards to um from scrimmage so not just not just rushing yards but from scrimmage 795 yards to break dalvin cook's league mark in that category so to break an acc record held by dalvin cook for scrimmage yards um is pretty pretty impressive although a whole year later um maybe he's just trying to bust it wide open and make it pretty much unbreakable and then he only needs 564 yards more to break Ted Brown's ACC rushing mark. So um, maybe he's coming back for personal reasons to break those records. Maybe he's coming back to win another national championship. Um, Maybe it's, I don't know. I feel like he got off to a real hot start and then he just kind of tapered off at some point last season and like it just didn't happen for him. It's real confusing because he's a very solid all around back. He's going to get you what you need. He's going to, you know, bust out your, your three yards here, your, your four yards the next round and put you in a solid position to call whatever you want as an offensive coordinator on third down and in two third down and three. So, I mean, he, he's just an overall really good back and um, I don't see why he came back, but it's, it's a good question mark, but it's great for Clemson. 
Oh, it absolutely is great for Clemson, especially now the fact that they lost Justin Ross. And not only outside of Amari Rogers, there's a kind of a question, a big question mark at the receiver room, but that leaves an even bigger opportunity for the passing game in Travis e, for Travis Etienne. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that opens up a little bit of a hole there in the passing game. Maybe that'll uh, get Sweeney, and I forget whichever offensive coordinator decided to stay there with him. Um, not Jeff Scott. What's the other guy's name? Um, it's I'm blanking on it. But um, anyways, hopefully he can get him more involved in that passing game since Justin Ross isn't going to be there and take a little bit of weight <clears throat> off of those younger wide receivers and be able to provide Trevor with a little bit of check down action there as well. Yeah, I would fully agree, and I think we talked about this as well, is Clemson has done a phenomenal job developing defensive linemen, and I love, I, I love <clears throat> Clemson defensive products. Dude, Xavier Thomas, that guy. That, or, That's exactly their defense, the person I was going their to bring up as well. defense is a freak of nature, man. 6'2", 265, somebody else Florida State was – in on back in the day when he was the recruit. Unfortunately, we didn't get it. It's just a whole Florida State thing that, you know, has happened the past couple of years. But uh, I remember being in awe of this guy when he was coming out of high school, and he's just proven it when he's, when he's come in here to Clemson. Yeah, he is a freak of nature. And you want to talk about a guy that really, like, exceeds with his technique? It's, it's Xavier Thomas. And like I mentioned, like, this is another guy, it's another product of that Clemson defensive line like we've seen, like we saw with Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, and now Xavier Thomas. Yeah, it's pretty crazy the amount of top defensive linemen there are in the ACC. I mean, you've got, uh, we talked about Marvin Wilson, we talked about Roche, we talked about Rousseau, even though he's opting out. Um, you've also got Jalen Twyman there at Pitt, who's a great defensive tackle. Clemson also has Tyler Davis there at defensive tackle as well. And that's not good. Like, <laughs> we've already named so many. And then you've also got uh, this guy. So, like, you've got Xavier Thomas, like an absolute freak and in, in talented. Uh, I can't even begin to... <laughs> To tell you, like, he, he didn't really show out last year like he did as a freshman, but that is also with the departure of all those defensive linemen um, that we were talking about from Clemson earlier who decided to stay. But his talent is just on another level. If he can get some help from that interior there, which uh, I'm sure Tyler Davis should be able to help him with this season especially, then we're going to see Xavier Thomas just explode onto the scene again. Another guy that I like, and I'm really hoping he steps up even more and, you know, kind of a bigger role, is Justin Foster. I mean, definitely his his stats definitely aren't going to wow you. I mean, they're not overly promising. I mean, this 2019, he definitely showed some sparks of improvement with four and a half sacks and 16 total tackles. But if you're a guy going into your senior year, you want to step up, you want to be that guy outside of Xavier Thomas and be in that spotlight. I think he definitely has a lot to prove. And that's that's a guy I'm really keeping my eye on as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's so many names you can name off of the Clemson defensive line. I mean, you got Niles Pinckney, um, another defensive tackle there at Clemson. It, like I said, Tyler Davis, who's 
a top 150 recruit last year. He's coming in, uh, supposed to be very highly touted. Um, didn't play as much as we would like to see him play last year. Um, entered or is credited with 51 tackles, nine tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, two pass breakups, fumble recovery. So, uh, well, did play a lot. Excuse me. Apologize for that. Uh, had 13 starts as a true freshman last year. So, uh, these guys are on a different level when it comes to the defensive line. I don't know what they're doing up there in Clemson to get them there. Uh, maybe dropping bags off at front doors. But uh, besides besides the point, um, their their defensive line is absolutely nasty, and and it's just backed up by their play. And then you have um, some very decent corners. I know you had a little bit of worry about one of them, though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one guy that really stands out to me, not necessarily – um, their corner, yeah, Darren Kendrick wasn't at times in 2018. There were quite a few games where he showed a little bit of inconsistency with his hands. Um, but and now, again, it's another go ahead. Yep, yep, Darren Kendrick, and um, it's another guy that is interesting to watch him grow. I think he still has room to grow. Um, but the guy I'm thinking of is redshirt senior uh, Nolan Turner. Okay. And what about Nolan? I mean, if you look at his stats, they're very promising. He's going to be another guy. And if you look at Clemson's secondary, there really isn't a guy that stands out more than others. Nolan Turner might even be that guy. But outside of Nolan Turner, there isn't a whole lot of guys that really stand out as, you know, first round or. I mean, draft prospects that go, that'll go within, what, the first three rounds? Right. So he's going to be a senior, if I'm correct. And yep. he actually has a real cool, like, background story, if I'm not wrong. Um, and he's their safety there. And he um, enters the season after curing 66 tackles, two for loss, 10 pass breakups, two picks, and a forced fumble um, over 15 games last year. So pretty good he only started four so i mean he got pretty good playing time and he really showed up in big games um which is pretty cool to see so um good for him he's he's improved each and every year and i'm trying to see what the story is behind him because it seems like he's a real cool story and a big guy that i really really liked coming out of clemson in this draft if i'm not if i remember correctly i think he was drafted by the raiders and that's Calavon Wallace, and that's a guy that you can stick all over your secondary. He's explosive and he's powerful, and he has he he's got elite hands. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just I'm trying to figure out his story. <laughs> um, but yeah, what were you saying? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> a, a guy that I really liked, and I think that's a huge. I think that's a big loss, and I think Nolan Turner. Obviously, that's. Some pretty decently sized shoes to fill, but I think Nolan Turner definitely has all the tools and the skill set to be that replacement and to be that guy <clears throat> to take over for Calavon Wallace. I mean, if you watch Calavon Wallace, I think he was drafted by the Raiders. He was drafted to the Raiders um, in the second, I think it was the third round of the draft. And if you watch him, he is a guy, not only does he have an elite body frame, but he can be stuck around all sides of the secondary. Right. So it is big shoes to fill for him then. I mean, if if you're having to fill in for somebody who is able to do all that and can fill in all sides of the secondary, not only do you have to be a safety that 
can like hit hard, come up in the run, but you got to be able to cover as well. Right, exactly. And like okay. definitely Nolan Turner has promising stats to do that. And speaking of Nolan Turner, did you end up finding uh, his it wasn't story? As cool as I, it wasn't as cool as I thought, so I apologize. <laughs> 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 it was just more about how like Dabo Sweeney found him and how he got Brent Venables to like give him an offer and all that good stuff all that good jazz because he started off as a running back and fullback. So it's just kind of a cool, cool little story of a transformation there for him. But um, I want to go back there to Darian Kendrick. He's, he's a young guy. Um, and the whole thing with him is he switched from wide receiver um, over to corner. So I wonder if that's kind of had an effect on him trying making that transition from wide receiver to corner, but you wouldn't think so if you transfer from wide receiver to corner, having trouble with catching the ball. But um, as we've seen in the past, a lot of times wide receivers get moved to that position for that exact reason. Right. And like, see, I knew I wasn't forgetting it because Darion Kendrick was one of or one of Trevor Lawrence's like big names that kind of stood out more because, like I mentioned earlier, one, it was one of Trevor Lawrence's first games, the 2018 game against North Carolina. He still had Hunter Renfro, he still had T. Higgins, and he still had Justin Ross. So, I mean, obviously, Darian Kendrick wasn't in the spotlight. But when he was used, yeah, there were times where he had good hands, but there were other times, and like we mentioned, Trevor Lawrence had contested throws, and there were other times where the ball would have been literally right in Kendrick's hands, and he wouldn't catch it. I mean, he wasn't the only one that's done that, but I mean, that that's a guy that kind of stood out to me, and... It's interesting, and I always like players that can play both sides of the ball, and it's a unique trait. So I don't think I don't think that one game should de- really necessarily overlook my case, but yeah, yeah, man. And it's been great to talk to you about these top <clears throat> these top ACC players here, especially for these three teams that are absolutely loaded with talent, and one of the conferences that is expected to. Um, play here in the fall man I just want to thank you again for for coming on here and being uh, my co-host and bringing me along and I also want to thank the Unwrapped Sports Network for for making this happen between us and um, all that good stuff you got anything to add Sam before we go ahead and close this thing down no um, I mean you were gonna say you ended every two weeks um, go ahead and correct me if add whatever I'm missing is we've got the CBD hemp oil um, got the discount on it and I mean, it's outstanding. I've never used it, but I know all you guys, Perry, Monique, and you have used it, and you've got nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, hemprx.com. So if you guys head over there, you can get yourself some uh, pain relief hemp oil. Um, it's great for um, pain and sore, um, sore muscle joints and everything like that. So uh, if you've played football, anything like that, played quarterback baseball, got those elbows hurting, got some sore knee joints from running, playing playing soccer, running cross country, anything like that. Um, you use the code RXHEMP-USN and you'll get 10% off of your order. Um, you can use that as well on any uh, deal that they have going on, on their website right now at all. Um, so you can um, go ahead and add those deals right on top of each other, which is great because a lot of companies don't do that. Um, so they also have a sweet special going on right now and it's one of their bigger um, items. I think it's like their 30 ounce uh, cream or something like that. And it's usually $79.99. It is on sale right now 
for $39.99. And if you get that on sale, you can also use that rxhemp-usn code for an extra 10% off. So you're getting a real good deal there. Um, again, that is rxhemp.com for that. And, um, and that's kind of the uh, rundown there for the for the hemp cream. Yeah. And <clears throat> the last thing is about halfway through our podcast, the Big 12 just announced that they plan on playing. Obviously, the season's not going to start on time. When the SEC dropped their schedule, um, they plan on starting September 26th. Um, so I would assume that's when all the other leagues will start. So it will definitely be interesting. There definitely is more time. I didn't really expect the Big 12 to make a decision tonight. Um, I think there definitely is more questions to be answered. And like you mentioned, the Big 12 is definitely the deciding factor on college football because if they say no and cancel or postpone, there is a very, very strong possibility that the SEC and the ACC go down. But enough with all these previews, um, everyone. Tune in tomorrow. I'm really, really excited to be joining Caleb uh, Perry and everyone else out of the Unwrapped University of Unwrapped Sports Network on the state of college sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that, too. That Unwrapped This panel tomorrow is going to be very exciting, guys. Uh, I expect a lot of uh, a lot of banter, and uh, you might even hear some yelling from uh, from our boy Perry, the, the main, uh, one of the main co-founders here for the Unwrapped Sports Network. So he's very, very excited about this. I'm excited about it. I know Sam is as well. So um, go ahead and head over there tomorrow night um, at Unwrapped U or at Unwrapped um, or at Unwrapped Sports. Um, go ahead and give us a follow. Check us out and uh, definitely tune in tomorrow. And don't forget to give us a follow. Show us some love on our personal accounts. I know Caleb, you are CHS Noel. I am Sam underscore Daring, D-E-H-R-I-N-G 68. And yeah. Yep. And don't forget Saturday standouts at SAT, S-A-T standouts, U-S-N.